Welcome to Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. I almost said Bethlehem South Campus, Lakeville, Minnesota. Both habits die hard. Learn more at southcities.church, not bethlehem.church forward slash south. Just for clarity's sake, y'all. Rick is here with us today. Rick Shank, thanks for being here today. Stacy and Nick are here. Random Hello. question, y'all. What do you do when it's not rained very much and your yard and your vegetation is slowly dying? How do you cope? What do you do? How do you cope? <laughs> Lynn and I go for a bike ride. You go for a bike ride? <laughs> All right. It's like, oh, yard's still dying. I just let it die. You just let it, let it die, let it die. Do you guys all have uh you have to water on the opposite or on opposite days? Mm-hmm. Is that the that's the case in Burnsville, I know. Yep. yep. You guys, is that the case in Lakeville and Farmingville? I have no Farmville. idea. Oh, because Nick just lets it die. <laughs> yes, let it die. Let it, you're planning on turning it into a patio. Exactly. Like <laughs> it's gonna have a whole yard of patio. <laughs> all quarter acre. I'm not, I'm not sure that that will be good for your uh, already pretty dank and uh horror movie like basement, Nick, but it's so all the water runoff goes into there. My, my basement is bone wow. dry. For now. Uh, <laughs> I think I remember, was it Rick? Did Lynn tell me Step or maybe she told Natalie that you're doing, you did like a rain, something with your rain. We made a rain garden. Ooh, What's a rain cool. garden? Well, the water from our roof, or at least a fraction of it, uh, we ran into um, a swale with stones and then piped that under the sidewalk. Uh, did that a year ago. <clears throat> this year, where that uh, pops up and and ejects, we built a level, what looked like a pond, but it isn't. Uh, it it absorbs all the water; it doesn't stay standing. Mm. And put hydrophilic plants into that. Lynn was the engineer from start yeah. to finish. Um, I was the cheap labor. Okay. And uh, actually, she said it, I do a long time it, ago. At least with in this Burnsville. In mind. Well, it was a great idea too. Okay. Uh, at least in Burnsville, Lynn got grants that paid for everything. Except for really? my labor. Yeah. So between uh, Burnsville and the county, they yep. gave I, grants to pay for the whole thing. I've heard of that too, Dakota County. Yep. Um, Natalie, if you're listening to this right now, <laughs> after you're done having a baby, you should explore that. Yeah, it's about 200 square feet and uh, it was kind of fun to do. That's mm. not small. Mm-hmm. That's Especially when I was digging and carrying... <laughs> It's more yards of dirt than I... You didn't rent uh, something from Home Depot to help with that. I rented my son, who's here on home assignment (laughs) with uh, Free Burma Ranger. Uh, I rented my son. Uh, Well, we're not here to talk about the physical rain that falls, but we're here to talk about God's grace that like rain falls, and through his means of grace, it pools in places such that the fruit of grace can grow. You might say like a rain garden. Might say that. Do you see this is a pretty deep cut? I had to think, I knew that he had a rain garden. I was planning on, anyways. You were working back to Yeah, that. so we're here. So Rick, you were a systematic theology prof at BCS circa 2009, 2008 on? Like when-, when I did, started when, when the school started, 09. So 09, yeah, yeah. And about a decade with the MDiv and okay. then five years with the evening program masters yeah, in undergrad. Yeah. So I had you for Systematic Theology 1 and 2. Nick, you had Rick for? Both of those. Both of those as well. Yep, yep. So uh, we've learned a lot 
uh, from you, Rick. So we thought it was fitting for you to come on on the tail end of a systematic theology discussion, which, you know, I'm sure you've listened to every single one of those episodes <laughs> and are totally geared up for this. But to talk a little bit like about uh, why systematic theology doesn't just have its terminus or enter the cul-de-sac of more theology, but theology, as it were, overflows or gets on the highway of the highway of love. That's probably a song or something like that. Like it's it, it has a purpose in how we live our lives out as Christians. So uh, the floor is yours, Rick. Like how do you how how does theology land in uh, or or continue in not land in but continue in uh, how we live our lives in action? We'll just talk. Sure. So I don't have any notes. I'm just going to free form it. I think, I think ethics is of a piece. <clears throat> I would say the, the, like the Trinity, there's three distinctions and one idea. Um, the distinctions are God speaks words. Those words have meanings and the meanings should result in a particular drama that God's people put on, actually those who aren't God's people put on as well. And so ethics is that drama that follows from the words and the meaning and the drama that's entailed by that. Um, what I find is that people often segregate them too far, keep them too distinct, um, and they shouldn't be distinct. They should be of a, of a whole, like the Trinity, um, there is distinction, but not separation. One of the things that we fail at, we as a culture, is minimizing the wonderful reality and power of words to, I'll use a, a term I like, instantiate. Uh, that's a term out of uh, well, my programming coding background. Mean? It means yeah. to cause to be what already is uh, existing in a sense. Um, so you've got an idea to instantiate it is now to have it in front of you and have an instance of it. And so we have God's word and we have the meaning that those words have because words don't mean things, authors mean things. And, but once you discern the author, then there's a particular thing we're to carry out and do. And it always happens that it does that. One of the wonderful things is a story in Isaiah where Isaiah actually makes his point to my reading anyway. Um, you know the story. Uh, Hezekiah has become king. Uh, he's built a wall, but uh, the the king uh, from Babylon is coming to <laughs> take possession. It doesn't work out as well for him. He actually fails. But as he comes, oh, I said Babylon, Syria. Um, but he comes and he says, I'm here to take your town, <laughs> Jerusalem. All the rest are taken. He announces it this way. This is uh, uh, I'm Isaiah in chapter 36, 36 of Isaiah, yeah. sixth verse. He says, do you think that mere words are strategies and power for war? Uh, which is a wonderful opening question in a war. Mere words, there is words of the lip. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it's a great phrase. And he's minimizing. Like, you don't think words can have any part in this. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but what's amazing, if you want to go read this in 36 and 37, is that it is all about words. The first thing he does is speak in Hebrew. And when they ask him not to, he says, well, of course I've got to speak in Hebrew so the people in the wall can hear what's going to happen to them. What's interesting is the people in the wall don't answer. Why? Because King Hezekiah has anticipated that he's going to speak words to the people in the wall. 
And this idea that words are important, which he denies in his opening statement, is really revealed to be the case. And when we keep reading and find out how this war is fought, the war is fought by God sending a rumor to the king to chase him away. We see uh, the war is fought by prayer and writing out of prayers to God, as well as writing out the words of the Reb Shekha against God. And Isaiah's coming in and he's giving the word of God back to Hezekiah to fortify him. He gives that word to the people. And in the end, the last movement in this is just stunning. It says in verse 33 of chapter 37, so the next chapter, therefore, this is concluding things, thus says Yahweh concerning the city of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, he shall not shoot an arrow, he shall not come before it with shield, he shall not cast up a siege mound against it. In other words, all the engines of war, not going to happen. Why? It says, by the way, he came, he shall return, he shall not come to the city, declares the Lord. What's happened? Mere words won the battle. There was only words in this battle, no siege engines, no engines of war. And so God says, basically in this, words are incredibly powerful. Well, words create, you know, they, they put into action a drama that then we find ourselves a place. And in this case, you know, the people of Israel found themselves in a, in That's a right. they had a place under the banner of Hezekiah with God speaking into reality things that were taking place. How, so, do, how does systematic theology then so in the various in, categories that we, we think about? If we want to assign categories, yep. words, the category is exegesis. Yep. Um, I read God's word and try to understand exactly the words themselves. What do they say? What did God say? Systematic theology is taking the words he said and understanding the meaning, understanding the intentions of the author. Again, going back to an Augustinian hermeneutic, if I could put those two together. Hermeneutics is how you understand words. Augustine was one of those who gave us a way and in summary, uh, an Augustine hermeneutic says, words don't have meaning, authors do. Actions don't have meaning, actors do. And so systematic theology, as well as other kinds of theology, help us discern the meaning. And then ethics is a putting on the drama that the Holy Spirit intends us to put on. Interesting breaks in there. If we have a break between exegesis and theology, we call that heresy. That is, if we know what it says and the meaning we give it is wrong, that's heretical. If we know what it says and what it means and the drama we put on is wrong, um, that is called being a hypocrite, hypocrisy. And so the failures between these modes, it all must be acting at the same time. If we let our duty fail, then we're either heretics or we're hypocrites. But God will put on the drama he intends. Interestingly, Isaiah, in this context, goes on in chapter 45. It sounds like it's far away, but it really has this context. I'll let the reader decide. But 55.11 says, my words never return void. And we quote that all the time, but it's 36 and 37, which give a foundation for that. God will always execute the ethics, the drama that he intends by his words. So in terms of ethics for us, so the average person listening to this podcast, you know, congregant at South Campus, when we think about the drama. South cities. Sorry, South Cities. When we think about the drama, I'm talking to my former BCS prof. I'm just like, yeah, dude, I'm in we're a different about mindset. Words have meaning. I'm in my here, late Daniel. 20s. Words have meaning. You're yeah, instantiating a church. That's good. So uh, 
me of all people. So uh, if ethics today, right, has, uh, and there's a drama that's constantly ongoing for God's people today, what are some significant areas where there's God has spoken? And perhaps in your estimation, maybe this is, and Nick can jump in here, Stacy can jump in here too. Um, where are God's people perhaps acting more hypocritically? Don't acting, quarrel along the way. Don't Let's quarrel along one. the way. Okay. <laughs> uh, Christian nationalism and certain politicians. Okay. What other, what other things? So like I look at like eschatology and ecclesiology as two like my favorite kind of. Really? I'm surprised you've yeah, never heard shocking, that before. I know. <laughs> and, I, and I think about like people, uh, so this would perhaps align similarly with what you just said. People treating this current age as though it is the age, that age. Um, and certainly acknowledging that there's, Plenty of continuum between this age and the age to come, but there's also discontinuity. So if if uh, in this life, uh, this is really all we have, and we begin to act like that as Christians who know that in this life, this is not all we have, whether in the political realm or other places, then I certainly think we are uh, walking in hypocrisy to some degree. Stacy, <clears throat> Nick, other areas where we're, uh, you know, we'd, we'd say that ethics, and yeah. we're walking out of step here. I mean, it's really, really easy and tempting to just get swept along with the cultural, whatever the hot button topic is at the time. So, you know, sexual ethics or things like that, you know, the culture is very, very forcefully and strongly saying one thing that is contrary to the Bible. And it can be easy for Christians to say, eh, did God's word really say, right? And to just go along with whatever, you know, the culture is saying. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, yeah. that's just a temptation. And, you know, we see not just individual Christians, but churches and denominations just compromise little by little by little and, you know, end up in a bad place. Yeah. So in the biblical realm of uh, the systematic theology category of anthropology, mm -hmm. God created them male and female. Yeah. And, and that matters. Certain things about sexual ethics that the farther you deviate from that under the banner of did God really say, mm -hmm. like, the more you walk in a hypocritical uh, or, or, or heretical. Or heretical. Yeah. yeah. You know, that uh, we look at the exegesis and we say, no, that's not really what God, mm -hmm. God said. Stacy, I think to piggyback on that, also tied in with the anthropology, yeah. biblical anthropology is not treating others as made in God's image. Yeah. I think that applies to a lot of problems we see within does. the church and outside of the church. And specifically things that I've seen, you know, and address even within the church, um, sadly, are things like pornography that go against seeing people as made of the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. Objectifying people, flattening yeah. out who they are for the sake of using them. And yeah, I think there's a, there's a way in which, um, so that, that's everything from like the pre-born those who have not yet been born and are viewed a certain way, lacking the image of God or lacking dignity, the those that have lost uh, the faculty, physical or mental faculties in their old age, or anywhere along the way, their disability that uh, you know they are less than. That matters for those that are not Christians mm -hmm. and perhaps are um, doing things that Christians wouldn't do. Uh, 
or ought not do. And the way that we view them as made in the image of God or not, anyone created in God's image is not less than human, right? They are human. Albeit they may do things that they were not designed to do and therefore will incur damage upon themselves. Mm -hmm. I think about Paul's words about sinning against against your own body Mm -hmm. in terms of sexual immorality with a prostitute. Every other sin that one does is outside the body, but he that joins himself to a prostitute commits a sin against his own body. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those kinds of things can tear at social order or even uh, my sense of self more than other things. So that's anthropology. I don't know, are there others? You you mentioned uh, you know when There's you mentioned an infinite number. Yeah, Name when you mentioned any truth and, yeah. and Satan will distort it. I mean, you used Satan's words just a few moments ago from mm-hmm. Genesis. So, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, uh, we'll talk here for a second. Politics. Okay, so you mentioned Christian nationalism. I think that stabs at both the ecclesiological. Who are the people of God, and what is their purpose on earth in relationship to those that are? not the people of God, still made in God's image, but not uh, covenanted to him, as well as the eschatological, the end times reality of like, what are we supposed to be doing while we wait for Jesus to come? Because it's not, uh, uh, is that the very end of First Thessalonians 4? Anyways, I, I think that's a worthy conversation point, especially uh, coming out of a a uh, particular kind of legislative session in Minnesota and heading towards uh, an election in 2024 that will feel probably consequential for uh, the future of our, our earthly nation, um, at least feel mm-hmm. consequential in terms of what, what we can see here. It's got, well, we have to say God's not surprised by any of it. He's sovereign over it all, certainly. But I think that's a worthy conversation piece. Like, like what are our ethics... Uh, in this place wherein we live, as we conceive of ourselves, God says who we are. That's a drama that we take on for ourselves. Who are we and how are we walking perhaps in some hypocritical ways or heretical ways in thinking about various things? Well, <clears throat> I, I mean, I've been pretty influenced by Jonathan Lehman in this area. And uh, the, his, specifically his book, How the Nations Rage, I found very helpful, where he talks about the church as being an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so that's who we are. You know, we're, we're representing God's kingdom that is, you know, come and is, will fully one day be realized. But right now we're kind of an embassy of that in a world that is not yet, right? Um, and what do you so, mean a world that is not yet? So like, we're living in the already that? not yet where God's kingdom has come, but it's not fully inaugurated perfectly here on earth as it is in heaven, Okay. right? And so we're representing that kingdom to, you know, a world that desperately needs Jesus. So that kind of gives us our marching orders. Our sphere is, you know, God's kingdom and exercising the keys of that kingdom as a church and things like that. And we shouldn't confuse that then with, the church is in charge of things that are not God's kingdom, right? We don't have authority like um, to be the government or things like that. So just differentiating like our sphere of authority, um, I think that's helpful in keeping us in our lane, yeah, so the, to speak. The church has a role in God's world yes. and speaks to the ordering of God's world through its mm-hmm. prophetic witness 
but uh, is not authoritative or even competent to do everything in God's world. Right. So in, in various ways. Any other reflections on that, the ecclesiological or the eschatological sense in which there's a drama that we must walk in, we must keep pace in, find our place in? It's interesting. Everyone's going to do the drama God has in mind. <clears throat> parables come to mind. Jesus said, I speak in parables. Yeah. I'm going to harden some. I'm going to make others alive by that. And so I'm comforted by the fact that the, the drama that God intends will always be enacted. Yes. We have a choice of a utilitarian response and an ethical response. So I'm going to redefine ethics a little bit and say ethics always has in mind the person. Uh, so the object of ethics is God. The object of utility is me or culture. And so just like the Ten Commandments can't be kept unless you keep them because you delight in God uh, without proving it, that's a First Corinthians 13 understanding that I have, that the object of love is God. Uh, the object isn't love. Um, or love means nothing without an object. So obedience means nothing without an object. So I'm going to say ethics is what the people of God can do, at least in a specialized way of use of that term. Whereas utility is what's good for the culture. And so we, are, we care about ethics. What we do because we know God and for him and to please him and to be pleased with him. Yeah, amen. I'm just have in the back of my head kind of, you know, you can take any of the various categories and think about them in, in this way. Um, so God's certainly going to do what he's going to do. Ours is to find our place. I love the distinction between utility, like uh, you know, sort of utilitarian ethic, or like keeping the true command, ethics. commandments yep. is utilitarianly yep. good. Yep, yep. So, which is you know, it can still have benefits for society right. and other things, but it won't ultimately benefit the one doing the actual ethics, acting in that way. But one thing that I I just thought of, you know, or uh, have been percolating a bit. On, I'm in Revelation 13 in my uh, slow multi-year fourth or fifth time walk through the Greek text of the Apocalypse of John. And the way that uh, the, the dragon enlivens the two beasts and the two beasts seek to, through their authority, give the entire world and yes, even the church uh, and the way that they blaspheme the people of God. It says blaspheme the people of God. That's a it's a conversation for another day. Leads me to say, you know, our understanding of angelology, our understanding of uh, in this drama that God has created, who are we really against? What is truly happening behind the scenes and therefore an apocalyptic worldview, a worldview that says everything that I see here is not necessarily as I see it. There are powers and principalities. If there's a prince of Persia, you know, behind the scenes of Persia, you know, in the, in the latter half of Daniel, is there a prince of America? Is there a prince of various places that uh, there are demonic realities behind the scenes that the church wrestles against? And how does that inform our ethics? That's more of a, an open question that, you know, maybe if we ever preach the revelation, uh, if that happens, we can maybe address some of that. Are you instantiating something? I've been instantiating something for like a decade. So, and now it's, now it's coming to be. Uh, any other reflections on ethics and theology? Like I was thinking we could bring up some names of people, but we're not going to do that. Here. Oh, we're Daniel. Gonna, 
we're not going to do that. Uh, some historic figures who were theologians in their own right, who uh, perhaps there are questions as to their ethics, but uh, we'll leave that off. It's more my own personal uh, interest, I suppose. Anything else you guys would say on the podcast here? There is no possible separation of theology and ethics. Yeah. To do so, you 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 destroy the meaning of one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. All true belief ought lead to true living or right living. Yeah. Rick, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you guys.